0: infinity in your pocket, this little black mirror of knowledge that you could go to whenever you wanted to, and you could find out almost anything about anything in the, all the course of human history. Do you remember what life was like before you had this? Because it really is kind of incredible that we have it, but if you're, and if you're, if you're maybe Gen Z or, or, or younger, you, you don't remember a time when that wasn't a thing. But I remember, I remember those prehistoric days when we we couldn't have everything at the access in our, in our hand like that. And, and I just want to remind you what some of that was like. Back in the day, when you went to a coffee shop and they were taking too long to get your coffee, you had two options. If you're an extrovert, you would strike up conversations with the other people in line and start finding out about them. If you're an introvert, you would stare off into the abyss and develop a rich interior life. This is what you did because you just didn't have other options than that. You just kind of stood there. When you went to the bathroom, you had to go sit down in, in, the, in, the, in the stall and just sit there. And there was no one, you, even the extroverts knew you don't strike up conversations in there. So you just like stared off into the distance and did your business and like, you know, contemplated your mortality. Um. Before you had a a, a phone like that, um, if you needed to get somewhere, you'd take a car or you would call um, from from a landline. You'd call a taxi to come pick you up, um, and that and that was fine, I guess. But what you didn't do is is get on a phone somehow and like get a random stranger to come pick you up and bring you somewhere in their personal car. Childhood me was told not to talk to strangers and would be shocked that adult me actually talks to them and gets in their cars. Like, it's just weird. When there were shows on TV that you wanted to watch, you had to watch them. When they came on, on TV. There was no on-demand. If you missed a show and everybody was talking about it at work, oh, did you see Friends last night, or whatever it was, and you didn't see it, you were just like, I guess I'll just... Never see that. Uh, I won't know what that was. And you just went through life like missing out or something on things. Like this is the way life was. When, um, when your friend said, hey, call me later, they told you their phone number. They said the numbers out loud. And you had to memorize it. And it was, a, it was almost a sign of how much you cared about someone as you memorized their number. You're like, oh yeah, I know that you just do these little mental games. You memorize their number, and 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 then if you wanted to go visit them, they would be like, okay, you're going to go down Landover Avenue, and then you're going to look. You'd get on your third right, and like you'd have to like follow a map or write it down ahead of time. You had to do something so that you would know how to get there. You didn't have infinity, eternity in the palm of your hand to guide you and give you all the things. Now. It's weird, right? Like you think back on, on the way life was for, you know, the majority of civilization for, like, you know, ever. Um, but, and, and I don't want to be anti-technology because there's a lot of great things that have come from having that kind of technology in our lives. And we all can talk forever about what those are. And it's, it's really, really cool. And the science of it and all that. Like, there's some really great gains that we've had from all that. But I also think there are some losses that we have from having uh, from having that that access to eternity in our in our pockets, basically, or infinite knowledge in our pockets, there's some losses there. Um, and I was trying to think about what what are some of the losses for myself, or in friends, or what I see in other people, or kind of in culture. What have we lost by um, by by having that? And I would here, here's a couple of them. Number one, we are losing the ability to be alone. We just don't know how to do it anymore. If I'm alone for a second. Um, and I start feeling, I don't know, sad, what I can do is pull out my phone and text a bunch of people and be like, what's up, what's up, how are you doing, how are you doing? And then they can respond and I can get a little dopamine hit and then I don't have to be sad anymore and I don't have to feel like I'm alone anymore. So we're losing the ability to be alone. We are losing the creativity that comes out of boredom. Oh man, it's the worst for kids. I don't, I'm bored. It's the worst thing parents don't wanna hear this. I'm bored. Well, learn, Get creative. Make something happen. We are losing the blessing of genuine human interactions. We don't talk to the person at the bank anymore. I can bank online. We don't talk. You know, we don't. I can. I can ride in an Uber and not talk to that person at all if I want because I have my phone with me and I don't have to even even that interaction. We don't have to have a conversation. Um, they're going to give me a bad rating, but whatever. Um, we are losing the ability to be present with ourselves, with God. And with others, there's there's something going on here. We we can never be present in in the moment when we are when we have constant distraction around us at all times. Now, I'm not the first person to point out that there are problems with this um, inability to be alone. In fact, Blaise Pascal wrote in France in the 1600s. He said this: All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You know who can't sit quietly in a room alone right now? Putin, for example. Just all of man's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And Pascal wrote that in the 1600s in France. He didn't even have a smartphone. He had, how many distractions did he have exactly? He didn't even have electricity. He just, I, I, I would think all he did was sit in a room alone. Like, what, are you, what else are you doing, right? And yet, even he was like, yeah, it's, it's too much. And if we can't just sit there and be alone for a minute, it's going to be a problem. And I would say it this way, it's an identity problem that we have. If you don't know how to be quiet and alone, you will never know who you are. If you can't get quiet and hear God and and have him remind you of who you are, you are going to constantly seek connection and hope other people will tell you who you are. You will constantly post and, and, and put that thing out there so that people will like it and, and, and appreciate you and, and validate you. You're going to be constantly seeking it from other people and you'll be slaves to their opinion of you if you, if you lack the ability to be, um, to be quiet and to be alone. In this series that we've, been, that we've been doing, Fast and Slow, and we are finishing up today, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines that Christians have used for millennia in order to connect with God. And these are ancient practices, but they have modern application, and they still work, and they are still useful, because the world is noisier than ever, and it's messy, and it demands our attention. We live in, and they even call it this, right, we live in an attention economy which means eyeballs equals dollars. There is a whole economic system around and a way of making money is designed around the idea that you they want you to look at their thing and click on it and like it and follow it and pay attention to it. And, if I can, and there are people with PhDs who are working very hard to get you to pay attention to their thing. And in the midst of all of that, there are these disciplines that help us to disconnect, the, the discipline of, of taking Sabbath, of taking time off of the week where we don't work, or we're not just defined by what we do for a living, and we, we actually unplug for a day. There's a, a discipline of fasting, where we, we don't just eat everything that is in front of us and just eat all the time and consume all the time and all the health problems that come along with that, but we actually intentionally say, I'm not going to eat for these periods of time, and I'm going to focus on the Lord. And today I want to finish up we talked last week about simplicity and kind of on the heels of that, I want to finish up with uh, a discipline, these disciplines of, um, you could call them disciplines of disengagement. Uh, these are disciplines of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Now, right now when I say, hey, we should practice silence and solitude, I, I'm aware that this is an uphill battle. That, that's very difficult for many of us. If I said, you know, you should Really, get some time to be silent and alone. Um, for a lot of people, the thought of that would be a little bit terrifying in our culture. And, and I'm not just talking about extroverts would find it, but for a lot of people, it, it's very difficult. And I know this, they actually did a study on this at UVA. At UVA in 2014, they did a study and they put uh, people in a room and they said, You're, You've got nothing, we're going to give you nothing, and you need to sit here for six, somewhere between six and 15 minutes. Um, and, and then they would ask questions to ask people how they felt. And you, you, you would be surprised how maddening it was for people to actually sit quietly alone for that amount of time. It was very difficult. In fact, they, multi- they, they adjusted the study. They gave people a button that would give them an electric shock. So here's your option, sit quietly alone, or you could push that button and get an electric shock, which was actually, you know, a bit painful. Do you know how many people push the button <laughs> instead of sitting there by themselves alone? 12 out of 18 men, 6 out of 24 women, said, I would rather be shocked and in pain than sit here by myself with my thoughts. Something's up with that. Like, what, what, is, what is going on with us that we, that we can't be silent and alone? So I know when I talk about that, I know it's a challenge for us. But let's dive into it. In the Scriptures, in the, in the New Testament Bible, in the Gospels, when we read about Jesus' life, 22 times in the Gospels we read that Jesus got away from the crowds to be quiet and alone. It starts in, you you notice this in the book of Mark. Matthew and Luke, as writers of Jesus' life, they start with the birth narrative. So you have Mary and Joseph and all that kind of stuff. Mark starts right into the action of Jesus ministering as an adult. And you see, and just in chapter 1 of Mark, you see like, how what his life was like and what he was about and so you see jesus get baptized and then you see jesus go off into the wilderness to be tempted and then you see jesus preaching around the towns around galilee which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about um starting after easter for the next several months through august we're going we're to follow jesus around as he goes around these towns and what did what did he teach So Jesus is doing this, all this is recorded in Mark chapter 1, he's going around teaching and then he's healing people and then the crowds are gathering and then in Mark 1.35 it says this, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So in the midst of all the busyness and and, and popularity, and people wanting to be healed by him, and the teaching, and all the things that he's doing, he, he beats the crowds. He gets up early, and he goes off to a desolate place, a quiet place, an empty place, a place where he can be alone. And he goes out there to pray. Well, that doesn't last long. People come looking for him, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, everyone is looking for you. This is how it is when what you're doing is working and 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 you're you're drawing a crowd. Everybody's looking. And if I was him, I would have been like, ugh, leave me alone. Stop it. What does he say? Verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So they're like, everybody's looking for you. He's like, nah, let's go over here instead and he goes over to engage a, a very different group of people. While he's over there in, a, in another, another town with another group of people, he heals a guy of leprosy. This guy, being healed of leprosy, excited about this, he goes and tells a bunch of people. Now Jesus becomes super popular over there, and it becomes a thing, and then the crowds are gathering around him. And then just a few verses later, we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 45, it says this, Talking about the guy healed of leprosy, it says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Um, you see, and you'll see this pattern that um, Jesus gets very popular and then he strategically withdraws. Um, he's, he's constantly pulling away from the crowd and going off into quiet places to, to be silent and alone. And if you think about it, that's a little bit odd because Jesus is spreading the good news of this kingdom. He's going to change the world. He's starting a movement, not just a, you know, a one off small thing in a, in, a, in a small town. He's starting a movement that we're still talking about today. And you would think if you're gonna start a movement, you're gonna really like change the world. You need to be on all the time, especially if, you, if your time is limited. You need to preach and teach and heal and do all of the things all day, every day, and into the night. He needs to like get after it and make his impact, and his candle needs to burn brightly and burn out you know, while he's got a little bit of time left on earth. And yet, what Jesus actually does is he teaches and preaches, and then he strategically withdraws, and he gets quiet, and he gets alone. Does he do that because he needs to recharge his batteries? Does he do that because he's actually an introvert and all these crowds rolling up on him, he just doesn't like it? I don't think it's exactly that. He was human, so he needs to sleep like, like we do too. Um, but I think what Jesus was doing was modeling for us the way to be, that we engage the world and we engage culture and we engage work and family and friends and, and all of the things and then we strategically disengage from those things and we get quiet and we, we practice solitude and, and silence. Um, he models that for us. Now, so how do those things actually help in a, in a very busy world, in a noisy world? How, how does solitude and silence, um, what does it do for us? Number one, this, getting quiet and alone helps us to connect to God. There's a story in the Old Testament, um, that Dave made reference to this morning, a story in the Old Testament from First Kings about a guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet, um, in, and he, he would speak on God's behalf. God would speak to Elijah. He would speak to the people. The problem with being a prophet of God is that most people don't like what you have to say, especially if you're bringing some sort of heavy word from God and condemnation. And like so often in the world, people shoot the messenger, right? And so um, Elijah just had this showdown, with the prophets of Baal, it's kind of a famous thing where they're they're chanting the, the prophets of this other god, and 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 Elijah's a prophet of the true God, and so Elijah um, basically calls on God to do His thing, and God brings down this fire, and it like burns up this whole altar and burn, burns up everything around it, and it's like you know fire from heaven, like the things you might think a, a prophet doing, they bring down fire from heaven, like would have been amazing to watch, uh, really cool, and it was it was like. It was like a challenge. It was like their prophets versus our guy. It was like an epic rap battle with Eminem and all that. Like, it was just like it was happening. They brought down the fire. It was amazing. So, you think like Elijah is peeking here because it's like so cool. Well, after that, people get annoyed with him as they do. Queen Jezebel wants to kill him. And so, Elijah goes running and, and, and go, tries to get away from the crowd. And he goes to a place where he can be quiet and alone. And he ends up. Uh, in a cave. Let me read it to you at, at Mount Horeb, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. First Kings 19 says this, "...there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away." This is not strategic spiritual disengagement. This is not Elijah getting into the cave going, you know, I just need to have quiet time with God. This is Elijah running for his life. He's like, they're trying to kill me. God's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't know if you've noticed, they killed all the prophets and now they want to kill me. Like the people are awful and I'm a dead man and I'm hiding here to get away from all of that. Okay, so it's not necessarily spiritual discipline that he's practicing here. It is, a, it is a survival skill. Verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God shows his power to Elijah and he says, go out, you know, go out stand on the mountain, I'm going to show you my power. And he, he does these things that we would think are very powerful. There's, there's wind, there's fire, there's fire. There's an earthquake. Like, if you experience that, if God brings those things in an instant, it's the most terrifying thing imaginable, right? An earthquake. Any of you have grown up in California can attest to when the land that you were standing on no longer feels solid and starts shaking about. That's a little scary. It's a little scary, right? And, and he's experiencing that. What is going on? This is shaking. But, but God's not in that. Oh, there's fire, but God's not in that. There's, there's wind. I imagine it's probably, you know, wind, rain, thunder, that kind of thing. And God's up there like, Sometimes I wonder why I ever bring the thunder. And the, he brings the thunder and, and then they don't, the, Elijah doesn't seem to care. He doesn't notice, right? Or, or, or that, that freaks him out. But God's not in that. God's not in those things. God shows up to Elijah in the whisper. So many of us want God to speak to us in the loud things, in the powerful things. Um, but my experience has been, and maybe you, you've experienced otherwise, my experience has been God's power and his Voice is understated. Um, I wish God would make his will clear to me, and I wish he would write it in the sky. Maybe get one of those planes, write it in the sky, and like say something, or with a banner or something very clear Chris, this is what you must do. But most often, what God does is whisper. That's where God is to be, is to be found. So God whispers to Elijah, and here's what Elijah learns from that that he's not truly alone. That even though he's in a cave, by himself, and it's dark, and it's hard, and things look very bad, and it feels like everyone's against him, even in that moment, he's not actually alone. And one of the reasons we need to strategically get alone and get quiet is to realize that we're not alone, and to realize that God is with us. Psalm 139, King David said it this way, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David, in a poetic way in the song, he's saying, man, where could I, there's nowhere I can get away from you, God. You're, you're, you're there. I can go in the worst places, I can go in the highest places, in the farthest reaches of the globe. Wherever I go, um, you're actually there. Those aren't just pretty words that are meant to be poetic. Those are real talk from experience. When everyone walks away from you, when you feel abandoned, when people diss you, when your reputation, when you've been canceled, when it seems like everybody is against you, in that moment, God is there. And it's a cliche, I know, but it's true. You don't realize God is all you need until God is all you have. Once you get to the end of your rope and there's nothing there, um, you, you, you recognize that, that God is actually there. And this is uncomfortable. I want other people. I want comfort from beings that have skin on, not this eternal deity that's out there that I can't touch necessarily, right? I want that kind of comfort. And, and there's value in that. And in fact, God said it's not good for man to be alone. So, And he gives us community and, and we, we lean into that and we, we talk about that all the time. It's, it's a powerful thing. But... Um, we don't want to be so needy for others um, that 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 we miss that we miss the, the point of this. We do want to be able to lean into solitude a bit, because circumstances are going to make us come face to face with our mortality. We will walk through a lot of pain before our days are done here on earth, and we may find ourselves one day alone in a hospital room with nothing but that machine that goes ping. And, and that's it. And there will be quiet moments there and we will feel alone. And, and what we need to know and what we would need to have practiced to understand is that even in that moment, God is with us. The reason we practice solitude is we practice hearing God's whisper. If you said to me, Chris, I wanna grow closer to God, what should I do? The stuff I would immediately go to if, if, I, if I'm trying to help someone get closer to God, the stuff I'm gonna to go to is like a podcast or read this book or read these scriptures and all of that is good and all of that is like content and bring it in and absorb and think about it. But maybe it's like, hey, I don't feel close to God and it's like, well, have you ever like tried sitting down and just shutting up for a while and see what happens? Like, get quiet and get alone and see where God shows up and listen for his whisper. We we're not going to know God when we constantly surround ourselves with noise. So getting quiet and alone helps us connect to God. Also, I would say this, getting quiet and alone helps us connect better to our friends. There is a loneliness epidemic out there um, that, we, uh, that that people are feeling disconnected, disengaged. 27% of Americans now live alone, 34% of Europeans. Um, now, there's some upside to being alone. Um, You don't have to share the TV remote with anyone. Um, You almost never have to wear pants. Um, There there can be upside to that. There's some good things. There's less arguments about what we're going to do and and that kind of thing. You can get quiet when you want to have it, Um, but it can be lonely, right? It can be lonely to, 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 to be alone like that. And the truth is, you can also be married and you can also have children and also feel alone. You're you're objectively not alone, but you can, you can very much feel those same feelings of being alone. Um, you almost see this more in larger cities. Larger the city, the more alone people can often feel. They call it crowded loneliness. That's a real thing. All of us need other people. We need connection. Um, this is why as a church we do small groups. This is why we have formation groups. This is why we have classes. This is why we have connection events where we'll say, hey, stay after church today. We're going to go do this thing. We're going to do one in a, a couple weeks called Pollen Fest. We have different events and, and fun things and ways to meet each other because we know like, we need each other. And, and we, I don't want anyone, if someone comes in here feeling alone, I don't want them to leave alone. I want them to make connections. All of that is is good and and useful. Um, But when we get, when we practice solitude and silence, one of the things we do is we learn to be comfortable there and and connect with God. And then when we go engage friends and engage other people, we don't go into it with a posture of, I need you to complete something in me. I need you to make this right for me. We can engage them from a space of, I want you. I want to be in relationship with you. Not, I need you to fill something in me and make the the alone go away. And so it it affects how we when we practice silence and solitude. It affects actually how we show up and engage with other other people. Um, Marianne Moore, the the writer, says the cure for loneliness is solitude. And when I read that, I thought that doesn't make sense. But actually, it kind of it kind of does. Um, there, we, we, can, we can experience crowded loneliness, and so what we need to do is get alone and, and understand that God is with us. So here's the challenge this week, and let's talk about how to make it happen. The challenge on silence and solitude is pretty simply this. Get quiet and alone. Get quiet and get alone this, this week. So how would we do that? Um, a couple different ideas. Number one is this, uh, put this on your calendar and decide where you will go. Put on the calendar and decide where you will go to get quiet and alone. In anything you set out to do, whether it was a workout program or an eating plan or something for work or take a class or learn French or whatever, whatever you decide to do, Um, the truth is you will never do that thing unless you decide, unless you answer the questions of when and where. When when, When am I going to set aside the time to do this and where will I be when it happens? If you don't answer those questions, then you will have plans to do all those things, but they're all just kind of goals rolling around in your head. They're just like dreams. I wish I would learn French. I wish I would eat better. You have to decide when and where, and that is true of this as well. When will you get quiet and alone? I recognize this is not as easy for some people as it is for others. If you are a parent of a small child, quiet and alone is hard to find, right? But eventually they go to bed, right? And eventually they'll sleep, and then you can get up before them maybe, you know. I know, That's is why you go to the bathroom and shut the door, right? Like, leave me alone. Like, I need him, right? I, I get it. Um, but, I, but, but make a plan and go, I'm going to get this this week, this coming week, I am going to get quiet and alone here. Secondly, do not bring your phone when you try to be quiet and alone. I'm telling you this from experience. Maybe it's different for you, right? Maybe you'll be fine. But the reality is there's a lot of people with PhDs from places like MIT and they are working very, very hard to make you addicted to your phone. And you are not smarter than they are. There's a lot of them and there's one of you and there's one of me. They know, they understand psychology. They know what they're doing. They're trying to get your attention all the time. They want you to use this all the time. And so if you say, I'm going to step away from that, I'm going to get quiet and alone, it's just too easy to grab that thing. It's, it's too easy to, um, to, to, to reach for that. The average American currently looks at their phone or reaches for their phone 96 times a day. That sounds like a lot, right? Um, and it is, but that's, that's average. Um, it's, if you feel sad, you can fix it with your phone. If you feel happy, you can express it with your phone. If, it becomes like this thing that we use to like mediate all of life experiences. And um, there's something missing there. And so I would say, if you're going to get quiet and alone, don't take your phone with you. Instead, do this. Bring your Bible or other devotional book and perhaps a journal. Read the, the, the words on the page. Um, I'm not much of a reader. Well, just for a few minutes. Try it. Um, and bring, bring, a, bring a journal to write something down. I find that I get clearer when I write. I think most people do. And so if I hear a whisper from God, or if I, if, I, if I read something, I go, oh, man, I need to think about that, or I just want I, I to ingrain it into my brain, I will write it down and, and journal I, Nothing fancy. I don't write amazing thoughts. No one's going to, like, unearth my journals 100 years from now and be like, look at the wisdom here. They're going to be like, I mean, he was kind of thankful for his kids a lot. I mean, okay, that's, I guess, like, whatever. Um, but, but write down um, and, and, and do it that way, and, and I, think you will, I think you will find it, it's helpful to you to, to do this. Embrace this as a spiritual discipline. You have disciplines in your life. You wouldn't call them spiritual disciplines, but you have disciplines in your life that you do and, and you have embraced. You had to be taught how to do them, and now you do them all the time. For example, brushing your teeth. Nobody has to remind you to do it. You do it all the time, multiple times a day. You know how to do it, um, and you would not think to not do it. And if you didn't do it, you'd have bad oral hygiene, and then people would be like, what are you doing? You smell weird, whatever. Like, all of that would, would happen. And, and there would be, and, and here's the thing, there's an immediate, or there's a very noticeable I didn't do this today thing with brushing your teeth. Um, it's different than silence and solitude. You could not have silence and solitude today, and nobody will notice. You, you won't even notice. You, might, you could not have silence and solitude all week, and you won't notice. Maybe you could go a month without silence and solitude, and maybe you won't notice. Maybe no one will notice. But I do think over the long haul, it catches up to you. I think there will be times that you'll feel anxious and insecure, and there's going to be lots of struggles where you don't know who you are where you struggle with identity, where everyone's voices seem loud, where all the noise is coming in all the time and you lack the ability to keep it out if you don't practice silence and solitude. It's the kind of thing that that sneaks up on you. This is why I think meditation has become so popular. And I like some of the meditation apps and, and things like that, but I think this is the culture sort of going like, yeah, it's a little too crazy, right? We should all like chill for a little bit. Um, now, meditation on an app is a little tricky because that's your phone again. Um, but I, I get why they're trying to do it, just to, to, to help people find some, some headspace and to get quiet. Um, I think other people are realizing you need to get quiet and alone. Jesus understood it, and he strategically disengaged. And I don't know why we would think, well, Jesus needed to do it, but I don't. Like, why would you think the God of the universe, as he models this for us, strategically disengages from the crowds. Why would you think I can probably handle it better than he could? No, I, I don't think so. I think we all need to um, find that space to get quiet and alone. I, I think if we pursue it, it'll be completely worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that um, you whisper, and it's not that you don't talk to us, it's that um, we just allow the noise to crowd out your voice, and the input, and the stimuli, and all the things are constantly around us. We we get swept up into those things, and it's not that you're not talking, it's just that we're not trying to hear, and, and really listening, and, and obeying. So, God, we acknowledge that, and God, we want to take steps. We want to dial into this ancient practice of silence and solitude so that we can slow, so that we can bring down the RPMs and and align our heartbeats with your heartbeat so that we can know your presence and know you are real. Because God, the tendency in all of us is to run fast and to run hard and, and to just take all the input and all the noise. And what ends up happening out of all of that, Lord, is we don't know who we are we don't know who we belong to. We don't, we don't understand things about ourselves and we are easily distracted and anxious and nervous and frustrated because of all the noise. God, help us to be the people. I'm not saying all of American culture should do this. They probably should, but my concern is for the church. My concern is for those of us who are following Jesus that we would be people who regularly, intentionally, strategically disengage, that we will not eat all the food, that we will not spend all the money, that we will not work all the hours we could possibly work, that we will not soak up all the input that we could possibly soak up, that we will not buy all the things that our heart desires to buy. We will disengage from this and walk a different path so that we can not go crazy, so that we can not be distracted, so that we can stay on target, stay on mission, have purpose in our lives. God, that sounds like a lot to ask, but but this is how people have done this for millennia. And so, God, we, we align ourselves with that, that great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and who have done these things. And we ask that you work through these practices, that you speak to us, that you speak through us in the whisper and that we listen and hear you and act upon what we are hearing. God, that is the people we want to be. We pray all of that, God, as we, as we head towards this holy week, as we celebrate Jesus, as we uh, remember his sacrifice for us on this Good Friday, as we celebrate his resurrection next, next Sunday for Easter. We, we pray all of this, and I, I pray that we really, we, are, we, we find, we make that space for silence and solitude this week, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.